Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Several years ago, um, I began to do something uh, very intentional as I read through the New Testament. I began to study specifically the prayers that were written out in the New Testament. I love how in so many letters that make up the New Testament that the writers took the time to write out specifically what they were praying for the believers that they were writing to. And as I've continued to really just study those prayers over the past few years, I gotta be honest, it's been a game changer for me in terms of me really seeing a new perspective on the heart of spiritual leadership. It's helped me better understand how to pray for other believers. And it's really challenged me to be a person that is intentional in crying out to God on behalf of other people. But just like anything else, as I have studied all of the prayers in the New Testament, there have been some that became my favorite of all of the New Testament. And as we continue tonight to talk about the amazing love of God, I want to start by reading my favorite prayer in the New Testament. It was written by a man named Paul, and he was writing it to a group of believers in a city called Ephesus. And so we read it in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at a portion of the prayer that he wrote out for these believers there in Ephesus. He said, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. I love this. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's really the heartbeat behind what we're doing for a couple weeks here as we look specifically at the love of God. Our prayer has been that we would understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love really is. Because I believe as Paul wrote out that prayer to those believers, he was praying that they would realize that God's love is beyond measure. You know this, but I want to say it anyway. It is possible to exhaust the love of your friends. It's, a, it's possible to exhaust the love of your relatives or your neighbors or your coworkers. But it is impossible to exhaust the love of God. 
And we believe as a church that the same love that we're able to experience, this amazing love that we experience from God, that he desires to press that love out through us as we serve and care for other people. And last Sunday, Pastor Vance laid down a great foundation for us in understanding God's love for us, in us, and through us. And as he shared those things, he gave us a spiritual reality that I want us to look at once again as we begin today. And here's the spiritual reality. My capacity for loving others is found in my personal experience with the love of God. The only way that I'm going to be able to love others the way that I have been loved by God is as I press into him and his very love flows through me. So during our time together today, as we continue to look at the love of God as it is described in the book of 1 John, may we be overwhelmed by his amazing love. I want to invite you to take your Bible and look with me in the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 4 tonight, and I'm in just a moment, I'm going to read two verses, verses 9 and 10. We are taking some time during our study, verse by verse through the book of 1 John, to look at a section of scripture in chapter 4 in which the word love is mentioned 27 times. And we established last Sunday that the word love has been hijacked in our culture. There may be no subject that is more misunderstood in our society than that of love. But the love that is being written about here in the book of 1 John is not just a selfish emotion as we see love depicted so often in our culture. And last Sunday, we gave you a snapshot to try to help all of us understand the agape love, the sacrificial love that is being talked about here in the book of 1 John. And we did it through three statements. And here are those three statements very quickly. First of all, the love that is being written about here in the book of 1 John is a choice, not a feeling. You see, the sacrificial love of God is a willful decision, not an emotional response. The love that is being written about here in 1 John is self-sacrificing, not self-serving, meaning it is focused on the well-being of others. It is not turned inward. And lastly, the love that is being written about here in 1 John is a love that is undeserved, not earned. Meaning we are to love as God has loved us even when we were unlovable. So with that in mind, let's look together in the book of 1 John, chapter 4 and verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What I want to do in our time together today as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper, 
is I want to share with you two foundational realities about the love of God. Here's the first one. God loves the world. God loves the world. Inside of every person on earth, there is a natural desire to be loved and to belong. Every person on the planet wants to be loved and accepted. Sociologists and psychologists have written about this for years. One psychologist from the University of Texas said this, the need to be loved could be considered one of our most basic and fundamental needs. Here's what that means. That means that regardless of where you travel around the world, Wherever you find people, you will find a longing for love and acceptance. And the way that we experience those things is through relationships. And you don't have to look very hard in our culture to see our incredible craving for relationships. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of the ways that we see our absolute craving for community, connection, for relationships is through the craze of social media. Did you know that in 2016, it was reported that the number of social media users globally totaled 2.3 billion people? It's anticipated and projected that by 2020, that number is going to become 3 billion. I believe that communicates that the human race is craving somehow, some way, a connectivity to other people. We crave relationships. Another example of how I think you see this craving for relationships is through the success of the online dating industry. Now, I'm not here tonight to give you the pros and cons about online dating. I'm going to leave that one on the table for Pastor Vance. However, did you know that currently the online dating industry is a $2 billion industry? I believe that communicates that the people on planet Earth are craving relationships and looking for ways in which they can find meaningful relationships here on Earth. You may be here today. And you're asking the question, are you ever going to experience love and acceptance? You may be here today and you're wrestling with, and is this yearning inside of me to be loved and accepted and adored ever going to be satisfied? If you are asking those questions or any question like that today, I want you to know something. You're Search is over. Because the Bible tells us from Genesis all the way to Revelation that God passionately loves the world. The Bible says here in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4, By this the love of God was manifested. The word manifested is a word that means to make public. It's the idea of uncovering something that was covered up. It's the idea of making something known to the world. 
Did you know that this book, this Bible, is a love letter from God? And here's what it communicates. That 2,000 years ago, God did the unthinkable to show his love for the world. I want to give you a spiritual reality tonight, a life application statement that is true. It's foundational, and it is significant for all of us on our journey. Here it is. God loves you and desires a personal relationship with you. God loves you and desires a personal relationship with you. And one aspect of God's love that is highlighted in our text today is in verse 10. Look at the first part of verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Do you recognize tonight that God did not wait until you were lovable to love you? He did not wait until you were cleaned up. He didn't wait until you were born. Before you were even you, God set his heart on you. He chose to love you before you were even looking for him. God took the initiative to love us and pursue us. I want to ask you something tonight. I don't want you to answer out loud. This is just for you and the Lord. When is the last time that you were awestruck that you were overwhelmed by the amazing, sacrificial, never-ending love of God? When is the last time that you were moved by the reality that God loves you personally and individually and has done so since the foundations of the world? I believe as a people, we need a fresh understanding of the amazing love of God because the Bible makes it clear, God loves us. Well, if that's the case, and that's what God has said, well, that begs a question. If God has said that he loves us, how did he demonstrate that love? I'm thankful to serve a God of action. Our God did not just say that he loves us. He demonstrated the depth and the magnitude of his love for us. Here's the second foundational reality for us today. God sent his son on a mission to reveal his love for the world. Not only does God love the world, but he sent his son on a mission to reveal his love for the world. Look at the last part of verse 9 in our text God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. God the Father sending God the Son to the earth was God saying a big I love you to the world. And this radical demonstration of love by God the Father is communicated consistently through the scripture. I want to share with you another place that it's, that it's mentioned. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And there are two specific ways today that I want to highlight that God's love has been demonstrated. Here's the first one. We see God's love in the one he sent. We see God's love demonstrated in the one that he sent. Verse 9 says he sent his only begotten. The construction of that phrase indicates one of a kind, unique. It puts Jesus Christ in a class all by himself. You see, the Bible says that he was sent, meaning he went from one place to another. Meaning this, that the birth of Jesus that we celebrate every Christmas was not the beginning of Jesus. Because he's eternal. Colossians chapter 1 tells us this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, before the foundations of the earth, Jesus already existed. At the dawn of creation, Jesus already existed. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed eternally in perfect, loving community. And at a point in time, the eternal creator became a part of his creation. Here's why. To show his love to us. God gave us the greatest gift possible as a way to declare his love for the world. Another way that we see God's love demonstrated is we see God's love in what he sent him to do. He sent his one-of-a-kind son, his only begotten son, on a mission. The word sent here means to send forth on a mission. In the end of verse 10, we see exactly what that mission is that he was sent to accomplish. He was sent to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is a word that means to turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. Jesus was sent to be the offering to push away the wrath of God that was intended for us because of our sin. You see, God made us to love us and to live our lives in fellowship with him. However, humanity rejected the love of God and we said, we can do it better. And that left us dead spiritually and separated from God. But God loved us so much. He said, I'm gonna wake up, make a way for you to know me and have a relationship with me, even though you rejected me to begin with. And so he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus lived on the earth for 33 years. He lived a perfect life and went to the cross as the perfect offering, sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And he was killed and buried. And on the third day, he was brought back to life by the power of God, making him the perfect offering and the savior for all of humanity. I love what Danny Aiken said about Jesus being sent on a mission. He said, God did not send an angel. He sent his son. God did not send his son to live. He sent his son to die. And this was no ordinary death, nor was it simply the death of a martyr. It was the death of a savior dying in our place 
and bearing our punishment. I believe the cross of Jesus Christ unquestionably made known God's love for the world. If there is ever a question in your mind or you hear someone say, does God really love me? Point them to the cross. If there's ever a question for you of God's love for you or God's love for someone else, I believe the cross of Christ eternally clarifies God's love for the world. He sent his only son, the greatest gift that he could give, he gave And he sent him to earth to die a cruel death to pay the penalty for sin. And one of the reasons that I believe we can have assurance in our never-ending salvation is because of our Heavenly Father's unconditional love for us that was proven through the cross of Christ. James Montgomery Boyce said this, If God had merely sent Jesus to teach us about himself, that would have been wonderful enough. It would have been far more than we deserved. If God had sent Jesus simply to be our example, that would have been good too and would have had some value, though, of course, no one would ever have lived up to that example. These things would have been good. But the wonderful thing is that God did not stop with these, but rather sent his son Not merely to teach or to be our example, but to die the death of a felon that he might save us from sin. Our God not only told us he loves us, he showed us he loves us by sending his son to die in our place. I read a story this week um, about a little girl. She was around five or six and she went to her dad. And she said, Dad, I want a nickel. Can I have a nickel? And the dad said, of course, sweetheart, you can. And so he began to reach in his pockets, and he realized very quickly he didn't have any change. All he had was a $20 bill. And so he said, sweetie, come here. I don't, I'm not going to give you a nickel. I'm going to give you this $20 bill. And the little girl, like any five- or six-year-old probably would, said, Daddy, I don't want $20. I told you I want a nickel. And he said, well, sweetie, you got to understand, this is a lot of nickels that I'm giving you right now. And he tried to explain to her how many nickels were in a dollar and how many dollars were in a $20 bill. And she says, Daddy, no, I asked you to give me a nickel, and you told me you were going to give me a nickel. I don't want $20. And the story concludes by the dad getting on one knee, and here's what he said to his daughter. Sweetheart. If you only knew how much more I have to give you than just a nickel. And I believe in the same way, the love of God that he has for us is more than we can even get our minds around. And my fear is that so many of us have spent our lives satisfied with such a limited experience of God's love, all the while God desires to overwhelm us with his amazing, sacrificial, never-ending love. May we be a people that passionately long to see how wide, 
how deep, how long, and how high the love of God really is. As we were walking through um, the study for this series that we're doing on the love of God, we felt like it was very appropriate this Sunday at the conclusion of our service, after we have looked at the incredible love of God, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church family, as a way for us to reflect on the incredible sacrifice that was made for us through the cross of Christ. As you study the New Testament, you see that Jesus gave his disciples the Lord's Supper as a symbol, as an example for them. And there are a couple of reasons that he did that. One, he gave this symbol for his disciples, for us, to remember his body and his blood. As we reflect on his body that is symbolized through the bread, we're to remember that God took on human flesh and came to earth and that his body was broken. As we reflect on the juice that symbolizes the blood that was spilled by Christ because the scripture teaches us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are to have moments to remember his body and his blood. But another thing that we're to do every time we celebrate this supper is we are to celebrate. We're to celebrate the fact that we've been given a relationship with God and we've been united together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are God's family. But as you continue to study through the New Testament, what you realize is that every time we observe the Lord's Supper, it's a really big deal. The Apostle Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth about the Lord's Supper. And here's what he said. He said, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This word examine means to test by questioning. And this is one of the reasons that every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper here at Hope, we ensure that our whole service is focused on the sacrificial love of Jesus. You see, this is not something that we just tag on to the end of a service. We recognize, based off the New Testament teaching, that what we're about to do in observing the Lord's Supper is a big deal. And really, we believe there are two specific relationships that we are to examine before we worship through the Lord's Supper. First of all, we are to examine our fellowship with God. We're to examine our fellowship with God. We're to ask questions like this. Do I know God? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you do not need a ceremony like the Lord's Supper. You need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. We're to evaluate, do we have a relationship with God? We're also to ask questions like this. Is there anything in my life that is hindering my fellowship with God? Unconfessed sin, an open rebellion, an impure relationship. We're to ask questions like, have I neglected the word of God and prayer in my daily life? 
We're to examine our fellowship, our relationship with God. But we're also to examine our relationship, our fellowship with others. We're to ask questions like this. Is there anyone I have not forgiven? Do I have any feelings of jealousy toward another person? Is there any relationship that I've failed to make right? Am I relating to everyone in my life in a way that is honoring to Jesus? These are things that for us tonight, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper, these are things we need to wrestle with. I want to ask our table hosts, if you would, to go ahead and transition to your stations. And we're going to move to a time now that at Hope we refer to as worship chaos. And I want to explain what that is tonight. In just a moment, after I breathe a word of prayer, there are four things that are going to be happening. And they're all going to be happening at the exact same time. Here's the first thing that's going to be happening. We're going to have a time of examination. We're going to have time to examine our hearts to see if there's anything we need to lay at the foot of the cross. If there's a burden or a sin or a broken relationship that is just on you tonight. And you need to lay that before God. You may want to do that there at your seat. You feel free to do that. You may want to come forward to these steps and just kneel on these steps like an altar. And just spend some time alone with the Lord, making your heart right before observing the Lord's Supper. So the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to have a time of examination. Secondly, we're going to have a time of intercession. You can already see up here with me, there are some pastors who are here. Maybe you would just like someone to pray for you today. Our pastors are going to be here. We would love an opportunity to pray over you tonight. Maybe there's something with your job or your family or your health or your finances. And you just need prayer. You need someone to intercede on your behalf. That's why we're here. So that's going to be available to you in just a moment. Thirdly, worship. Through the elements of the Lord's Supper, we're going to worship Jesus by remembering all he accomplished through the cross. We have seven stations around the room today. And you'll see at each station there are some hosts that are there. And they're there to serve you the Lord's Supper. Both the symbol of the bread as well as the juice. And you can feel free to observe it there at the table. Or you can take it back to your seat. Whatever you feel most comfortable with. We have four stations here along the front. And then we have three along the back. Let me encourage you just to make your way to the one that is closest to you. And worship God through the Lord's Supper. And then finally, praise. When you have finished all those things as God leads you, we want to ask you to return to your seat and join our team in praising Jesus for who he is, what he's done, and who we are in him. So all these things are about to happen at the same time. We had a great experience this morning as we worshiped and praised and prayed for one another and searched our hearts. And I hope tonight that you'll do the same. If that makes sense, say amen. 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 So here's what I want to do. I want to say a word of prayer for us. And then I'm going to invite you to begin to move as you feel led. And our team's going to begin to play. And whatever it is for you, maybe it's a time of examination. Maybe you want to be prayed for. Maybe you're ready to go straight to the Lord's table. Or maybe you just need some time there in your seat before you do anything. This, these are moments to be led by the Spirit of God. 
so that we are honoring God with this incredible practice that he gave to us. So let me pray for us tonight. Lord, thank you for your amazing love. Lord, thank you that you did not just tell us you loved us, but Lord, you showed us. You demonstrated your love for us through sending your son to die on a cross in our place. Lord, I pray during these moments tonight that we would be overwhelmed by your incredible love. Lord, I'm sure in a room like this, there are people who just have some things that are in their life, on their heart, and they need to make that right tonight. I'm sure there are some people who just need to be prayed for and encouraged that way. Lord, I pray that would happen. I pray all over this room as we observe these elements, God, I pray it would be significant and meaningful and that you would um, draw us close because of it. And Lord, I pray as we sing to you that it would be a sweet aroma as we lift up the name of Jesus in whom we have life and peace and joy and hope. God, lead us in these moments. Speak to us in these moments. We pray this would be honoring to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.